I'm Nick Terzo, and you are listening to The Radical. This week's guest's debut album, Walk Through Fire, earned her four Grammy nominations, including a Best New Artist nomination. Her latest album, Stand For Myself, produced by Black Keys' Dan Auerbach, declares that real change will come when we challenge our thinking and acknowledge our true complexity. Powerhouse singer Yola joins me to discuss her complex and authentic songwriting, challenging all biases, collaborating with Brandi Carlisle, Joy Oladokin, Natalie Hemby, and her upcoming role as sister Rosetta Tharp in Baz Luhrmann's new musical drama, Elvis. Coming up, my conversation with Yola. Hi, Yola. Hey, nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's my privilege to have you. Um, Your record, uh, Stand For Myself, is outstanding. Congratulations. Oh, oh, thank you. I'm hella proud of it, of course. Well, uh, you have every right to be. Um, And I kind of feel like watching your career, I've been kind of like this little Dutch hound chasing after having you on my show. And you're like formula one driver lewis hamilton with your career it's just i can't catch up you're going too fast <laughs> that's a massive compliment because i am team lh all the way oh, oh you are that's I good i really good. am i'm team lh all the way home always have been always will be yeah, that's, he's that's astounding he is astounding he's a true king and he does kingly things all the time well you're you're the queen you're the queen of music then you're the lewis hamilton but queen of music hey that's what i'm going for (laughs) (laughs) so talk to me a little bit about this record it's an important time out there in the world um maybe while you were writing this i suppose um so talk to me a little about some of the themes and some kind of the important issues societally (laughs) that you're addressing with this record. Well, yeah, you're right that some of this was um, written in 2020. And I feel like I've talked about a lot of the stuff that I've written kind of pre prior to meeting Dan or prior to walk through fire. Um, But not a lot about the ones that were just like sparked in 2020. And like, you know, we spent a lot of time talking because we couldn't really do anything else being locked up in our houses so you spend a lot of time, you know, calling people, talking, occasionally getting out into someone's backyard for a hang and talking about what's happening. And, you know, when you have time to look at things in your life, they come off as like you feel everything more and things that you may have let pass you by hit home. And I think that's kind of what happened in summer of 2020 um and i think people just they felt they felt things they were able to their busyness was able to kind of cauterize their sense of empathy for humanity and so i felt that um on talking about that to like joy ladakoon um it made us reflect back on times that we'd maybe minimized ourselves a lot and you know, um, maybe we'd um, not allowed ourselves to 
feel whole because nothing in society told us that we had the right to feel whole. And that can be something that just stunts your ability to be creative and to grow. And that's kind of the starting point of this record. And then the context through which we attack all of these issues. So like with Be My Friend, I'm talking about allyship. And a lot of people were like, you know, I don't have, I don't have cognitive bias. And, you know, we were talking to a lot of people that really honestly thought that they'd managed to circumnavigate um, something that all human beings suffer from, <laughs> which is cognitive bias. We all have it. And uh, and so, like, that's, that song is, um, it has a line that says, no medal will adorn you, no fanfare will salute your fame. And it was, uh, that was re- referencing <laughs> how enthusiastic people were to be like, you see, I talked to a black person today. I'm a good person. Uh, where's my medal? I did it, you know, one time. That was me. Like, you know, or I've known about this person for absolute years, but I just decided to pay attention to them today. And where's my medal? I want reward now. And it's like, like, cool. We don't care how late you came to the party, but don't expect a medal for it for just treating humans like humans. It's really basic. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so the, the song is a kind of like, would you be an ally? But also, in that accepting of being an ally, um, would you not be fair weather, fair weather about it, number one? And number two, don't go expecting a freaking high five and freaking parade in your name. This isn't white savior central. Grow up. Like, <laughs> and so, so that's kind of that song. It's like a do it and just do it because you're a good person. If you really are a good person, you won't be expecting a reward and a high five and notoriety for officially not being racist or something like you get a medal or a plaque on a wall somewhere <laughs> freaking ridiculous anyway so like that like that was like the vibe that i was getting a lot of people waiting to be high five i'm like it's not coming buddy and so <laughs> so like there was like some of this thing these kind of ideas of like where you set your boundaries and even dancing away in in tears is like about boundaries it's about outgrowing someone and being like oh this was cute and everything but i've authentically outgrown this situation and i now think whatever it is that you're providing isn't enough and that's fine i don't hate you i think you're absolutely fine it's just that i've finally found some self-esteem and i consequently have to leave and like <laughs> and like every time i'm going through these moments where i'm like oh wow i deserve better than that or we deserve better than that in Diamond Studded Shoes, where I'm like, could we just not subscribe to the divide and conquer paradigm for one second, please, guys? Like, it's doing none of us any favours. Like, the only person getting richer here is Bezos. And so, like, can we just, can we just not, guys? Can you just not bite every single time they bait you? That'd be real great. And so, yeah, like, that's kind of, there's a, there's a lot of this, record is just asking some really fundamental questions that were felt that they were being posed throughout 2020 from the George Floyd situation right through to the election all the kind of general thing that we deal with with misinformation online and 
how little responsibility people take for that misinformation. Like, it all felt that it was starting to inspire these these conversations. And in the right in the middle of the record, I'm just unendingly sentimental because that's also like a 50 percentile of my personality and so I was like it would be yes I have lots of things to kind of gripe about but also like that personal gripe of like having to be what a black woman and active and constantly strong and constantly some kind of monolith and you don't get just five minutes to be tender and to be nurtured and to be you know, taken care of and all of that kind of business. Like, there's so many insidious messages that try and paint women, uh, Black women specifically, as not needing of help and not needing of nurturing and not, um, and somehow, you know, in some other space separate from white womanhood. And so there's definitely, when it comes to the perception of gender and the ownership of, like, femininity, as it were, and so, like, I really wanted to undo that, not just in, like, the imagery, but, like, in, like, some of the videos, certainly for Starlight, and in, you know, Now You're Here, and If I Had to Do It All Again, um, they're all about, and Great Divide, it's all about this yearning for connection and to nurture and be nurtured in turn and all these things because it's a massive rebellion apparently for a black woman to just be just some big old softy <laughs> <laughs> well that's what i kind of found interesting is you encapsulate um you know that vulnerability right in this record mm. but at the same time there's the other side that you talked about earlier which is like the empowerment and the proactivity and this record sounds proactive, even in sound, versus kind of a passive musical piece of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the idea is, like, when it comes to being... And I wanted to put those two things in the same space. Because I think when Black women are active, which is kind of all the time, you might have noticed, um, like, there's something maybe we get given this sense of, you know, oh, you're such a badass or like like you are framed as this person who is strictly there to serve. Do the thing of service and, you know, solve America's problems, please. <laughs> you know, or solve wherever's problems. We don't care where you're from. And so just if you're a black lady, please solve whatever problems exist, wherever they exist. And so that whole paradigm isn't one that's parroted in other women's stories of different backgrounds and so I really wanted to put the idea of being active of having boundaries but also of being gentle and not being a monolith um like I don't have to just write one album from one side of my personality like I am allowed to be multifaceted and show that and so I show that sonically in the story of like how I grew up um, and the music I grew up in and, in and amongst, and as well as I do lyrically in like from this idea of empowerment and empowerment not being this kind of like rockish monolithic thing, but actually being something that you have to just, you have to learn, you have to like grow towards and like, 
and it comes from accepting vulnerability and asking for help and like and, and also not subscribing to the monolith that is preached to you and and being your whole self as well then that and that's why it was important to put things that seem seemingly unconnected together with regards to just like love and tenderness and then politics and society and like these things aren't separated in life and one often affects the other and so with my work for example the way I viewed myself in the environment of the UK and the way that they see black women really made me afraid to lead and I didn't want to have like a solo career like on my own <laughs> for such a long time because I was just afraid that like people would just loathe me because of the way I looked and that message was sent to me via the environment I grew up in which was like we could only really have one black woman at a time <laughs> and we're not going to be very nice to them FYI <laughs> Each one of them will have a story of how dreadful it is to be doing what they're doing and that they're somehow surviving amid all of that. But, you know, hostility is like a standard situation. And, you know, like that's that's it took me a long time to get over that hump. And and so this idea of kind of reaching for, you know, your dreams or as it were to grow um, isn't it's you know, you've got to be able to find like that sense of I can be vulnerable I can be I don't have to be this strong person I can in interact with the entirety of my humanity and consequently the entirety of my art and that's valid and people want to hear that and people want to see that um I feel like the strong black woman paradigm is the front that you put on before you accept yourself and because that's painted because it serves other people it doesn't serve you <laughs> at all it's it's framed as serving you but it doesn't you know it just it, it creates like a mork and mindy egg around you <laughs> of defense you know uh and it and that's like not really that's not really interacting with the world you know and so i wanted i wanted those two things to live together so yes strength and tenderness are a part of the same house Right. And do you feel um, versus maybe like earlier in your career with some of the kind of supporting or backing uh, vocal roles, stuff like that versus, you know, becoming your own uh, front person, star, songwriter? Um, did you feel like that broke through them when you finally identified with doing your solo work? Well, that you um, got away from that a little bit. Well, um, I made a point of. So uh, the unfortunate thing about my presence uh, or, or certainly the most popular articles about me on the internet um, seem to portray some misinformation, which is not anyone's fault apart from the one person that wrote it. <laughs> who <laughs> uh, I don't even know which one it is that everyone's looking at. I have to ask at, at one day. Um, <laughs> but they always think that I've done backing vocal work. And I think this particular person must have just had some cognitive bias because, <laughs> because uh -huh. I'm a dark-skinned woman and I wasn't, like, a solo artist, I must have been doing backing vocals. And I haven't. 
Right. And so that's one of the things that happens. Or, but they'll go, oh, you look like this. So you were an artist, but you were in the industry. So you were doing backing vocals, right? I'm like, uh, no, I was actually a front woman for hire. And, but that's not the most popular one <laughs> that gets kind of brought up on the internet. I would always front people's acts. They like EDM artists. A lot of them are just DJ producers. They don't sing. So they, they do songs with me or with other people. And, and they'd want a singer who can sing all of the songs. And frankly, I can sing most things. So I get the call and they go, can you sing leads and just sing all of these songs? That's what I was doing for Massive Attack when I was in that band, Bugs in the Attic. Granted, we did rotate. I do my songs then like um, Natalie Williams would do her songs and we'd share the role and then I would do a harmony for her or she'd do a harmony for me when I was doing my lead song. But by and large, I avoided backing vocal jobs because of this, of how easy it is to get sucked into that world. And in the UK, you don't get seen as a artists in your own right what the second you start accepting those roles so it becomes something that you have to hold out on to be able to do what you do and then the rest of the time I spent uh uh writing for people mostly again doing what I like to call the unfeatured feature where like I wouldn't put my name to something but I'd ask for more money <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the idea was is that I'm like, I don't want your credibility or fame for being a raver i'm not a raver um like i love my i can i can come up with ideas if you need them but <laughs> i'm not gonna start I'm, I'm not gonna like pitch my tent on this somewhat whimsical and you know ground <laughs> where they'll be like oh i love this dj for like two years and then that person completely disappeared and someone else pops up in their place and they totally love them. You know, <laughs> I was like, I can't pitch my entire life's career on something that is so cyclical like this. Cause I would like to be a, like an album writing artist, a long, long arcing artist. And that's going to be harder in this environment. And obviously aesthetically um, I'm into different stuff. And so like, I would always bring my soul sensibility to these jobs, but it was always like pumping up someone else's machine and people would do really great off me. And I was like, that's fine if I've got publishing, but when I don't, like if I'm just doing a vocal or something, it has to do really well for me to see any kind of like reward from it. And I realized after a while that I was just like working a, a like a job. It wasn't really... I was building a career, you know, and like all the writing I was doing was happening and it was doing stuff, but it was taking such a long time to get recognized. But then I would get like a few decent cuts. And like my first thought when I got them was like, I can now afford to do my own thing. I should probably think about doing that. But it took a long time to get enough money to be able to do that. It took also took a lot of mental preparation and having a decent support structure with like the environment that I was in to dare to do it. And so like, because again, like they were off, you know, no one really was in the habit of believing in black women doing music in the UK for some bizarre reason. 
I'm like, which, hmm. <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. Like, if I think about it, so as an strange. It's so strange. But it wasn't like, oh, yeah, like, you'd think, like, you'd be drowning in black women doing music because, you know, Africans. But, like, <laughs> but no, <laughs> it was, like, a really weird programming that I had to get over. And mm. um, I had to avoid doing backing vocal work for that to even be a starter. And so, yeah, it was a weird kind of thing that I had to dance, a weird kind of barrier I had to traverse. Well, thank you for the clarity on that. And, I mean, I wasn't even clear that, you know, London had this kind of blind spot. Um, I just can't get my head around it, to be honest. Well, it's, I think London was a better environment than anywhere else in the UK for um, women of colour and black women specifically, but across the board with women of colour. Um, but I was in Bristol and Bristol, mm. um, as liberal as it is, like would constantly fail its women of colour. <laughs> That's just what it is. Like I love growing up there. Great place to be, great place to go and get turned up or, you know, hang out with your friends, eat. So many good places to eat and to drink and it's it's a wonderful place, but artistically it massively underserves black women. And I go to London and London was better, but it's still in England and England just doesn't, even Meghan Markle had to come back to America going, wow, it's actually more chill here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I know, I know, right? It's totally weird. It's not what you expect. It's just that we're maybe a little bit more quiet with our, by our bias and our bigotry <laughs> we're, we're right. a lot more clear, we're a lot more kind of like tactical with it they're not so polite. obvious polite <laughs> yeah maybe even but like no less effective my ad just mm. politer with it and so <laughs> that's the thing that like i realized i was gonna have to travel to get like a few different people's perspective on me doing what I'm doing creatively. That was like so that was like a big realization. I remember even hearing meeting um, Estelle Darling way, 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 way back, and she was um, moving to the states <laughs> and saying, "Oh, you you might need to leave at some point." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow!" Like she goes, "I'm gonna go and see what's popping." She went to see what's popping. She did ab, made that tune with Kanye, it all, and the rest is history. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, I was like, it just stuck in my head and I'd watch and I'd be like, wow, I really, it doesn't matter what you do. It's like they can't hear you. And then you go into places that you do like small shows and it was like the people were totally ready for it, but the machine didn't quite know what to do. And so that was a really weird thing about being in the UK and starting there. And if it wasn't for the Americana community in the UK, like I wouldn't have even been able, I wouldn't have even had a start. Like, and so I owe a lot to them and to the genre. Um, and it's a, and it's umbrella perception of having lots of genres underneath it that allowed me to kind of do what I like. <laughs> mm. So a stand for myself, um, I'd be curious, how did all the, you know, the collaborations on here, it's produced by Dan Auerbach. How did uh, all this, how did you put this all together? Well, um, you'll notice that 
title track stand for myself <laughs> is actually um co-written by a producer writer pianist called Hannah Vassan um in I want to say a trip back home into the UK in 2018 um I felt like I had a song stuck in my head that I needed to get out um I felt like it was going to be about this whole journey of minimizing yourself as a woman of color and Hannah is a Berliner um South Asian um heritage first generation in the west um and maybe a little darker hued than your average Indian <laughs> um, that you see in the media, if you will, not necessarily average Indian full stop. Um, and like she had definitely gone through some like experiences of colorism. So it was something that we could talk about and often did. We went way back. We go way, way, way back. And so that's kind of how that song started. I was like singing some of my voice notes at her, <laughs> trying to make sense of the kind of melodic and the chord structure. And we built this up and we talked about it and that helped me process. And the words just came flowing. And yeah, we put down a demo, um, a bit more of a program demo, but was a large part of the perception of the song and what we then listened to, to kind of live track the song in the studio. And so, like, that was the collaboration with her was from our time in Bugs in the Attic, uh, Afro, be new, like, neo-soul, what they call broken beat in those days, um, West London outfit. Like, we were, like, bandmates. And same thing with Diamond Studded Shoes. Um, it wasn't that we were bandmates, but it was just a connection that of friendship and us talking in Aaron Lee Tajan's, Tajan's living room and like talking about what happened in the US and the state of the US in 2017 and the UK with Brexit and all this kind of business and like so much came around conversations and like and so I carried on that philosophy talking to Joy Ladakun about you know that idea of like minimizing yourself and like the situations in which we've been we've done that and how that really doesn't serve you and just keep on trying to have conversations with people and then to start up these ideas and then in those conversations um like I'm able to find something that's true to both of us and it's about the connection that we have that's a really big part of my process is trying to connect with the person over something that feels salient, you know, something that I've been living through, like in the recent past, and to then connect with someone who's also had that experience and to write about our collective experience and the things that bind us are true, you know? And so even though it might be me writing a lot of the lyrics, it'll be a conversation that we've had that kind of gives rise to that. And like, it is a really wonderful way to write because you have to explain yourself to that person. You have to have a sense of objectivity about yourself. And so, for example, with Break the Bow, I'm talking about the death of my mother, and I'm writing this with a complete stranger um, who doesn't understand the nature of me and my late mother's connection. 
And so she's not going to understand how to, like, I wanted a bridge. I wanted some patching. I wanted some a little bits to finish off lyrically. I pretty much had most of it, and but I needed, like, an expert hand to help me finish it off. And um, so I had to tell her about, like, how my mother had all the tenements of a clinical psychopath but was undiagnosed. But I had, but for that reason was very capable, but also very somewhat unfeeling. And that being challenging. So the nature of my grief of her death was complicated. And like I'm this song is like an imagined idol of her heaven, if you will. Um pre-Windrush, pre-bait and switch. And um, all of these, like, conversations were things that then bound you to that writer. And you'll see Natalie Hemby is on as a writer a lot. And it's because we were able to talk about so much. She was just so comfortable talking about so much. And so every time I felt like I needed to tackle something, I felt comfortable calling her. And so, yeah, like, that was something that really... Were these new relationships for you on this record? I mean, yeah. versus your, your debut record? Yes. Well, by and large, well, well, versus my debut record, they're older relationships, technically, because I'd never met anyone <laughs> <laughs> that had written on my first record. I hadn't met any of them ever. <laughs> and and we weren't we weren't the same age or even the same generation. We weren't from the same continent. <laughs> mm. We were, didn't have the same like background, um, eth- ethnicity-wise or culturally, um, or the same gender. Or I, 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 you know, beg to believe in some cases not even necessarily on the same political alignment. And so <clears throat> we were trying to find things that were very that either everyone could identify with or no one could <laughs> like walk through mm. fire not many people can identify with being on fire but i was a human torch for a short amount of time in christmas 2014 and so that song is about what the, the kind of realizations i was having whilst i was burning alive and uh they looked at me like i was insane and i told them the story and uh, that's that was kind of how I na- navigated that situation of like essentially meeting a bunch of legends, but none of which I'd ever met before and none of which had any idea about the quirks of my life and that I wasn't necessarily going to have time within the space of three hours to really break down. <laughs> and so I needed older relationships to be able to get into this record. So Hannah, um, for Sam, I met in, I don't know, 2005, 2006. I want to say 2006. No, maybe 2005 even, late 2005. Anyway, um, I met her way back, Erin Tazjan. I met him in, uh, like, Sweden in, like, 2017 or something. And, you know, like, like there were, like, newer relationships. Natalie Hemby had probably only met, you know, uh, an early... 2019 um just after my record came out and she got the record and then proceeded to hound every represent bit of representation i had until she could get in contact with me and i met her at at luck and she was just like really enthusiastic about just being in touch and you know um and so like all of these were like maybe older connections or longer 
before we started writing, as opposed to just meeting someone in the room on the day and then having to trying to get in as deep as you can into the sense of your connection as possible within three hours. <laughs> and so, yeah, well, that's changed a lot with regards to what I could do in the room. Right. Well, that's a hell of a creative cohort uh, you've put together. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Those are some yeah. talented folks. So. Yes. And to be able to talk to people way before so you can go straight in is a, a tip I t- like recommend to any aspiring artist. Like, if you know someone... There are some conversations that you're not going to have to have to get to that point of being creative. And so making a true connection was like the foundation of this record. And I think on every level from the artwork to the lyrics to sonically where it's going, there is more, there's more steeped connection as opposed to immediate connection. You know. Well, I know you have to jump. So I just want to ask you one last uh thing here and that's about uh i understand you've taken a role in a, in a new baz learman learman musical drama is that true yes it is um i've been cast as sister rosetta thought in the so amazing yeah it's kind of mind-blowing and i was um fortunate enough to actually shoot my scenes in the movie um during lockdown via the power of an exhaustive screening and quarantining and all this business we went over to australia and we shot the movie and the whole process was something that i'd never done before and i'd never even done a solo before and so i'd spent the the rest of the year the lockdown practicing these solos for the movie and then when I got there, I was like, oh, like, it's not just that I need to be able to do these solos that I've never done before. And they're like, she's shredding. Like, that's what she does. I've got to kind of sing counter the rhythm of, like, what I'm playing, which means that you've kind of got to split your brain. That's really hard to do. And then I had to be able to see the bits of tape on the floor where my marks are so I can hit my mark so I don't miss the frame of the shot. I'm like, cool, so I've, I can't be looking at my fingers because I've got to have one eye up for those marks. I've also got to interact with the people in my scene, so Elvis or whoever are in my scene. I've got to interact with them. I've also got to go to see the director because Baz is going to be doing something. <laughs> and so, like, and then I've got to be emoting and actually being her and not looking like I'm thinking about what I'm doing. <laughs> and so like you've got to be acting to the camera and so acting to the camera acting to the other actors and being aware of your marks and the director are all the main things that you've got to do and the sideline is the the other thing you've never done before which is shredding (laughs) whilst singing counter that feel and so it was like a lot and like I did it surprisingly i didn't know if i was going to get through it but i did it and for 15 hours a day and like it was it was the most intense thing i've ever done in my life it's the most kind of focused you ever have to be and like i feel like it really transformed like what i thought i could do and so uh yeah it's been really exciting we got to see some of the shots as well we got to sit and look at the monitors whilst 
other people shooting. So like we watched all Gary Clark Jr.'s um, uh, shots. He's playing Big Boy Craddock in the movie. And yeah, we got to watch um, like all of these scenes and just to see how they broke down. And it looks stunning already. And so I can't wait for like That's everyone awesome. else to see this. Congratulations. Yeah. Baz Luhrmann's a gift. And I think he's so great oh. with musicians and with artists on the music side of things. He's so yes. patient and nurturing. So what a great experience. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And he really is. I could definitely second that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for your time. Um, the new record's incredible. If there's anyone on here that's a Grammy voter, let's go again. Let's get this woman some <laughs> Grammy nominations. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Yola. You are a delight, and uh, your story is really inspiring. Oh, thank Appreciate you. it. Thank you, love. Have a good rest of your right. day. Stay safe. I will yes. do. All right. And you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This show originates from the podcast capital, Austin, Texas. My producer is Sean O'Neill. Visit theradicalpot.com for updates and even some merchandise. Also, please subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I also ask that you please share episodes with your friends so we can continue to grow our community. See you all again next Friday.